morning, brothers and sisters. It's a wonderful season, isn't it? Actually focus on the first coming of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today amazed that you came for us, that you sent your son to be the savior of the world, and that you came to people like us, people who were in rebellion, who were dead, in their trespasses and sins. Father, I pray today that your spirit would lead us into all truth. We've heard this story over and over again. And Lord, I pray that we would see it with fresh eyes. That we would be amazed at who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. A wife said to her husband, shall we watch the 6 o'clock news and get indigestion? Or wait for the 7 o'clock news and have insomnia? One person put it, the evening news is where we begin with good evening, and then they tell us why it isn't a good evening. As you know, we're living in a world that's filled with tragedy. Um, and there's more and more hurt, not only in the world around us, but even in our own lives as we deal with the sin of ourselves, the sin of other people. Um, and yet, in this passage, in Luke 2, we have this incredible message that the best news in the world is that Christ the Lord came as the Savior for, uh, for all. That is amazing news, isn't it? That in the midst of a world in which he didn't have to come, he came to bring that news. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. The good news is going to do what? Produce great joy, which shall be for all the people For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We want to look at several things in this passage, four in particular. One, we want to see that God is merciful and gracious to sinners. Secondly, we want to see that the angels are rejoicing and praising God over the gospel. They are absolutely fascinated with what's going on here. And they're completely engaged in in worshiping and praising of God. Three, we want to see these untrained shepherds who are simply minding their own business out in the field. And we're going to see them take the message they've heard and begin to share it with other people. And then fourth, we want to look at Mary when she gets this message from the shepherds. And what she does with it, how she treasures it, and how she ponders it in her heart. That's a real key for us to stay Christ-focused and to enjoy Christmas year-round. Amen? So first of all, God is merciful and gracious to sinners. As we look in verses 8 and 9, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, what had just happened? Christ was born. He was born not in a kingly palace. He was not born for show. He was born actually in a place because they had no room for him. 
No room for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amazing. He's born in a stable. He's born in a manger. And who does God trumpet this announcement to? Surely it would be the King of Rome. Or surely it would be the leadership of Israel, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. Surely it would have been in Jerusalem at a high festival where the angels descended upon the city and just lit up the sky with the glory of the Lord and just and made this announcement. This announcement is made in the backwoods. This is made out in the field where these shepherds are watching over the sheep. This shepherd is, this message is announced to shepherds. Now, if you don't know it, shepherds weren't considered the most noble of people. They were outcasts. They were people who were not allowed to give testimony in court. If you had a situation and you needed a testimony, you didn't bring a shepherd in to give a testimony. They were not involved in many religious ceremonies because they were dealing with unclean animals and they were dealing with dead animals. So many times they were ceremonially unclean and could not even participate in the normal religious ceremonies of Israel. And they had a reputation for stealing. They sometimes had a hard time knowing which was your sheep and which was their sheep. For example, Scottish shepherds have a reputation for showing compassion to those poor English sheep who had never had the privilege of grazing in the lush pastures of Scotland. And they would often liberate those English sheep so that they might enjoy the experience of the Scottish countryside. So they didn't have a great reputation. They weren't the honored people. They were outcasts. Isn't it amazing that not only does Jesus come in humility, but he comes to the dregs of society. In Matthew nine thirteen, we read, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What was Jesus saying there? Was he saying there is a group of people who are righteous? I didn't come for them because they're good to go. But there are some sinners and I've come to get those? No. What he's saying is, I've come for those who see that they are sinners. Those who see that they are righteous, he has nothing for them. And they will one day stand in their righteousness before a holy God and be disrobed of what righteousness they have. You know, it's interesting. We all want to build a church we want the church to grow and we're always looking for, you know, in, in the military we're looking for a few good men, right? That's a, that's a motto, isn't it? In the church of Jesus Christ, we're not looking for good men. The church of Jesus Christ isn't made up of good men and good women according to God's standard of righteousness. The church of Jesus is made up of sinners people who were in rebellion against God, people who were dead in their trespasses and sins. Jesus comes for you and I. Do you see yourself as a sinner today? 
Hopefully you see yourself as a forgiven sinner. A sinner who's being redeemed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Oh, little by little, but we're, we're moving up, right? Slowly, by God's grace we are, even though we're stumbling and we still see our sin daily, we see there's progress in our heart and in our motive and in our words and in our action. We're becoming less us-focused and more Christ-focused. But we're still what? Sinners. You'll never understand Christmas if you don't see yourself as a sinner. Why would Christ come? And who is Christ? And what does he have to do with people who are sinful if you don't see yourself as sinful? It's amazing when you have that view of it, how this story jumps off the page by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes, his announcement comes to nobodies. The shepherds were nobodies. Probably, given the fact that they were shepherding outside Bethlehem, they were probably taking care of sheep that would one day go to Jerusalem and be slaughtered as Passover lambs. And they get this incredible announcement to go see the Lamb of God. It's amazing as we look at this story. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 31. Let's look there quickly. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who is his target audience? We all tend to be proud, don't we? We all tend to view ourselves higher than we should. Verse 26, for consider your calling, Paul says to the Corinthians, brothers, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards and not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. What does he mean by that? He chose the foolish. He chose the foolish people. The people that the world viewed as foolish to shame those who claim to be wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. That's an amazing statement. He chooses things that are not. He chooses people who are not righteous, people who don't love God, people who don't desire his kingdom. And he causes them to be that, doesn't he? He makes us new creations in Christ that we read, we had preached last week. So that, and why does he do this? Verse 29, anytime you see so that, or in order that, that's a purpose clause. This tells the purpose why he did this. Did he just do this because he had a whim? No, he had a purpose behind who he chose so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? Why does he choose other people who are nobodies? So that we have no grounds in which we can boast 
in our own goodness, in our own intelligence, in our own righteousness. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus causes us to be righteous and to be sanctified and to be redeemed. Look at verse 31. There's no so that. What's the purpose of that? So that, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So God wants boasting, but not in ourselves. Boasting in who? Boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? As we look at verses 10 and following, we have this angelic host that shows up. So we see here, though, that God is what? Merciful and gracious to sinners. That this event even happens shows his mercy and grace, does it not? Was he obligated to come to earth to save a people for himself? No, he wasn't. The wages of sin is what? Death. All he had to do was have his decree, set up his white throne at that point and judge the world and condemn everyone to hell. There was no obligation, none for him to do this. It wasn't there. Yet, out of his compassion and his kindness and his mercy and his grace, Jesus chooses to become a baby. In the most humble of circumstances, that he might reach the nobodies, the outcasts, the ones who aren't the smartest or the strongest or the greatest, to reach us. Do you see yourself, brothers and sisters, as sinners? Verse 10 And the angel said to them. So we have the angel appear to them, the glory shows around them, and they are what? Terrified. That's one angel. They're terrified. They're just watching their sheep at night, doing the night shift, and the sky is lit up with the glory of God. And this angel shows up. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Wow. Can you imagine that? You have a clear night in Israel. It's cold. The ground's damp and the sky is lit up and you become the recipients of this grand proclamation of what has just happened in Bethlehem. So we see that the angels are rejoicing and worshiping as they watch this gospel unfold. 
Remember we talked about the fact that our salvation causes worship to take place and causes God glory. Remember that in Ephesians? We were in Ephesians 2. Remember that last week? Turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 7. He says he's made us alive. He's raised us up with him. He's seated us with him in the heavenly places. In verse 7, he says what? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There's another passage in the New Testament that says, and angels long to look into these things. Notice the excitement of the angels about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the gospel that's just in this little section here and how they describe it. First we see, as we look at the truths of the gospel... Under point two, the angels rejoicing in the gospel unfolded. We see that Christ's coming is good news of great joy. When you fully get this good news and you embrace it, it produces what? Great joy. Are you a joyful Christian? You have no reason not to be because of this incredible news that a Savior has been born Second, we see here, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. city of David is what? Bethlehem. There's a prophecy that's been fulfilled here. Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are so too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient times. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Now, remember the first eight verses here. There was no way Mary was going to be in Bethlehem. Mary had no reason to be in Bethlehem. She was living in Nazareth, and all of a sudden, a magistrate, Caesar Augustus, calls for a registration of all the people. He calls for a census. And everyone is required to do what? Come back to their home city, their city of origins. And for David, I mean, for Joseph and for Mary, that was Bethlehem. And she's pregnant. Now, we all know about women and timing for pregnancy, right? No way to predict that. Have no idea, early, later, whenever. And they come back... That's the only reason they're brought back is because of this edict. And there, in that short span in which they're there, she has Jesus to fulfill the prophecy in Micah. Boy, that sure was lucky, wasn't it? It's amazing how that kind of thing just kind of works out. Not with a providential God who is in control of all things. Notice three here. He is the Savior of mankind Every man and woman needs a Savior. Isn't that great? Our greatest need is that. How are we going to fix all the problems in the world? How are we going to, I mean, they're just continue to multiply. Just one word. Jesus. Jesus can fix and will fix it all. 
There was an ad in the paper not long ago that said, God can't fix this. Oh, yes, he can. And yes, he will. And when he fixes this, he's going to fix everything else. He's going to fix your rebellion against him and your lack of belief in him and your lack of worshiping him and all the sin that's in your life. He's going to fix it all because there's been a day marked out on his calendar when he's going to do that. And how many of us think today that he will be on target with that? He just hadn't told us when that is, but we know it's coming. Notice here that Jesus is the Christ. This little statement in verse 11, David, a savior, he's in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ, that's Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. And that's why when these shepherds heard this news, they already have been waiting thousands of years. And even though they were ignorant shepherds, they what? They knew this was big news. And they took it in. Notice it says Jesus is Lord. That's the same word kind of abbreviated for the idea we have in, in Exodus chapter 3. Remember, Moses said, I'm going to go back to Israel. I'm going back to Egypt to set my people free. And who do I say sent me to, pick you, to take you and bring you freedom? And God says, tell them I am that I am. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You tell them, I am that I am sent you. This is the same idea. This is a declaration that this Savior is who? God. That Jesus is God. And notice here, we have this incredible statement that he is the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that he is God. And then the very next sentence, and this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. God in a feeding trough. We see here the humility. The gospel, the gospel always portrays the humility of Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 113 that God stoops down to look into the affairs of men. Through Jesus, he stooped down. Philippians 2 tells us he stooped down and became a man. And then he stooped down to die. The eternal God who's always existed stooped down to die. And then he stooped down to die on a cross. And what's the purpose of that? That one day every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. His name will be exalted above all. So here we are. Now, isn't it interesting? Look at the joy that the angels have regarding this gospel. Did they need their sins forgiven? No. They did not have sins forgiven because of Jesus. These angels had not rebelled. They were no benefactor of 
the forgiveness of God. My question to you and I is, how can we let the angels be more excited about the gospel and leading to worship of God than the angels? We are the recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet we find ourselves so focused on other things. Those who did not need a savior are worshiping God because of what he's done. They're worshiping him for who he is. What this shows of who this great God is, that he's God of compassion and kindness and mercy and grace. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying we can beat the angels at this, but we need to be engaged in the worship of our God. It's really important for that. We were created for worship. We were made in his image to commune with him and to worship him. Every child born The goal is that they worship him. That's the purpose is we worship him because he deserves all the praise and honor and glory and worship. How is your worship? Well, I I do it every now and then. I do it Sunday morning for three songs. The Bible says from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. The name of the Lord is to be what? Praised. A lot of times we're focused on, well, I committed this sin and this sin and this sin. Let me tell you, not worshiping him is a sin. Because that's what we were created for. Ephesians 2.10 says, well, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Well, that's worshiping him. That's communing with him. That's also proclaiming his gospel to people. That is also making disciples. That's also living our day-to-day life in a way that honors him and doing things his way. Those are the good works he has prepared. Launching the gospel to people who've never heard before. And, and rejoicing in what he's done for us. I mean, the angels help us peek inside of heaven, don't they? This is heaven's view of this event. There's incredible joy, incredible worship. And they just come out, they just literally, the doors open to heaven and they show up. And heaven kind of spills out onto the earth, doesn't it? And here they, here, and who's, and who's the crowd watching this? The shepherds. What a night. What an incredible night. Now the angel said, fear not. When you see an angel, you should be fearful. Why should people be fearful? Because they're sinners. And they deserve what? Judgment. And angels bring judgment. And 
And notice that not only did one angel show up, all his friends showed up too. A multitude, an army, an army of angels shows up. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and screaming, I'm sure, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is Not peace to everybody. Peace to who? Those with whom he's pleased. So let's go back to Ephesians. With whom is he pleased? I almost want you to answer this question. He's pleased with those he chose before the foundations of the earth. For those, there's peace. Is your life marked by worship? Is your life and my life marked by peace? Knowing that everything is right with God. When angels show up, are you fearful? Or is there peace? Now, this is his first coming. He comes as a baby. He comes to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And we see that there were over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament that were all fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. When Jesus left, he promised to come again. This event right here says God keeps his word. What he promises, he will do. He won't do it in your timetable or my timetable, but he will do it. And so we know that if this event happened, which is a historical, like what Bob said, this is a historical event, irregardless of what the skeptics may say. Here we have our eyewitnesses. He will come again. There will come a day when Christ will come again. Riding a white horse, turn to Revelation 19, with his holy ones. And it will not be in mercy and grace. There will be no mercy and grace on that day. But in wrath and judgment. Now we all live in an age where there are all kinds of deals that you can have, right? And if you take advantage of the deal before it it lapses, you get it. And if you wait till later, you get this sorry, the deal is over with. We know that on on Groupon, don't we? We went and watched Scrooge at the Riverwalk. It was a great deal. We went and watched it. I didn't get to watch it. Traffic was so bad, I was trying to find a parking place. Bah humbug, I said. (laughs) But I went back to the site to get my tickets and it said, offer expired. If I had not bought the tickets and it expired, well, okay. Right now, there's an offer. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus offers salvation. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And right now, the offer is good. Anyone who will look to Jesus and trust him alone for salvation and repent of their sins will be saved. Will be saved. Now, I don't know about you, but when we have those kind of offers, I kind of go, okay, I'll get to that a little bit later, right? And I'll get to that later. All of a sudden, I realize, what day is it? Whoops. This is the one offer, friends, that you don't, you can't afford to miss. His hands are out. Grace and mercy are there. Compassion and kindness are there. When we get to Revelation 19 and we hear this trumpet call of God and we hear this shout of the angel, the offer is over with. Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That's verse 11. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Why is it dipped in blood? It's his blood, the blood he shed for his people who he's coming to save. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, they're coming, and they won't be saying, fear not. That will not be their message. They will not be proclaiming grace and peace. Trust Jesus, you still have time. They will be proclaiming God's wrath has come. To deal with all the sin that's in this world. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is the same Jesus who's in the manger. Luke 2. He's grown up. He suffered and died. He went to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And at God's appointed time, he's mounted the horse. And with the armies of heaven is coming to make Noah and the flood look like a picnic. And it will be glorious. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And I love this. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings. Lord of lords. Two incredibly different pictures. A wonderful picture of hope in Luke 2. For believers, a wonderful picture of hope in Revelation 19. 
Amen. For unbelievers, a message of hope in Luke 2, for a message in Revelation 19 for unbelievers, a message of wrath and judgment. The angels understand, they understand this God. Remember the angels in Isaiah 6 who literally covered their face from the glory of God as they were flying around screaming, holy, holy, holy. This God is holy. This God has never sinned throughout all eternity. Jesus never sinned. He hates sin. But he loved a people for himself and he sent his son to die to take the wrath of God for anyone who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we wouldn't have to face that wrath. And that that is incredible news. But you can be sure of this. If he poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross to pay for the sin of anyone who would believe, he will not leave the sins of the unbelievers unpunished. If he saw his own son receive his wrath for the sin of the chosen, those who are unbelievers, there will be no excuse good enough There will be no life good enough. There will be no human righteousness to be able to stand in the presence of his holiness. They will receive the full cup of his wrath forever and ever and ever. Three. Here we have these shepherds receiving this message. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They didn't go, wow, that was interesting. Let's get back to watching our sheep. We got business to take care of. No, they left their sheep there and they made their way to Bethlehem. And and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And look at the next verse, 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They didn't just tell Mary and Joseph. They told everyone. Notice the shepherds. They shared the glorious message with everyone. Is this message glorious? It most certainly is. Were these shepherds trained? Did they have a seminar? Did they have a series of seminars by the angels to make sure they could present this message clearly? Nope. They basically proclaimed the message and these men did what? Untrained, ordinary outcasts took the message And isn't it interesting that God allowed them to give the message to Mary? You'd think he'd have shown up for Mary at that point. He'd already given Mary a message. They'd already shown up with angels before, right? But this message, 
comes from the shepherds to Mary and to everyone around. The call we have here is to proclaim this message. That's the natural response. This kind of great news cannot be kept to ourselves. It cannot. And if the shepherds can proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus, so can we. Now, we do live in a culture that is so against this message. It's unbelievable how much this culture is against this message. And it's growing more and more antagonism toward the message. And that's why we are called to proclaim it. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of people thinking bad about us, we are Christ's ambassadors. And we've got to find our feet and find our voice and proclaim that in the midst of a time that's growing darker and darker, the gospel of Christ. Because there are still people in this land who, if they hear the message, they will believe. Do you believe that? If they hear the message, they will believe. May God give us grace to do that. And then finally, you know, in Romans, let's back up just a moment. In Romans 1, the Bible says the unbelievers suppress the truth of the gospel. We can do that too, can't we? We can suppress it. By hiding our light under a bushel. In Romans 1, verse 18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We don't want people living the truth. We don't want people speaking the truth. We don't want the truth in the college classroom. We don't want the truth on the football field in high school and a coach at midfield having a prayer with his team. We don't want you talking about it. We want you to share the gospel only inside the church building. And eventually, we're going to come take that away as well. It's time for God's people to stand up. It's time for us to take the basket all up from over the gospel. And to call people to this Savior. He is their Savior. There is no other Savior. And to find the words. We all, if, if those shepherds knew what to say. You and I have been reading this book for years. Surely we can find something to say to people. About Jesus, can't we? May God give us boldness this season to find people who are sinners, who need a Savior. They are everywhere. Finally, I want you to look at the last point. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. 
Notice what Mary does. All the things the shepherds told her, everything she'd been told by the, by the angel, she was what? She treasured them. She was holding on to them. And she was what? Pondering. What's the other word for pondering? Meditating. She was meditating on these things. Brothers and sisters, we live in a culture of a thousand distractions. Everything from our phone to the internet to entertainment to work to daily responsibilities to choices in which kind of topping we're going to have on our Sunday. I mean, we just have so many things out there. And, there's, and I'm not saying there's not good things we can enjoy. The question I have for you is, are you so distracted that you can't ponder the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we so plugged into everything else Things that aren't, quote, sin, but we're plugged into them so much so that we can't ponder these things. In previous generations, it was easier to ponder these things. Many had an agrarian society. They worked in a, they worked in a field. There wasn't a lot of things to do. They had time to think. They could, I'm sure they found distractions. But for you and for me, if we're ever going to be able to worship like the angels worshipped, we're going to have to ponder these things. They're going to have to grip our heart. They're going to have to become rooted in there. The Bible says meditate on these things day and night. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Now we know we have to live life, right? Right? We have to work, we have to take care of a household, we have to wash the clothes, we have to cook, we have to do all these things. And there's a place for recreation and those things. But have we allowed some things to take up such a place in our heart that we don't ponder the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I was convicted in this message. And fathers, do we provide places for our family to ponder these things? I think many times we're just so busy going from here to there to everywhere else that we don't ourselves ponder these things and we don't help our family ponder these things. Mary was going to have a hard road to hoe. Her son would be crucified. She needed the strength of the message of the angels. She needed the strength of the promises God had given her. Brothers and sisters, life in a normal time has enough distractions for us, right? And enough problems for us. Maybe it's financial stress. Whatever the situation is, there's all kinds of things we can become so fixated upon. I think God here is calling us, just like he called Mary. Martha's busy in the kitchen. She's getting everything ready for the event. Mary sat down at Jesus' feet and did what? Listen to what he said. May God give us the grace to ponder these things and to call the things out of our life or at least limit them in ways to which we are doing this. If that happens, our worship's going to increase. 
our evangelism is going to what? Increase. Because this message will have gripped us and it'll have a hold of us. And we can't just sit there and not say anything. We're going to have to speak. And the sin that still lays dormant or lays working in our lives, we are going to be more passionate about what? Rooting it out and pursuing a holy life. And we're going to be more concerned about the body of Christ and what's going on in each other's lives and being able to bear each other's burdens and do the one another of the scripture. I mean, when we get distracted from the gospel, everything suffers. Worship, local community of the body of Christ, evangelism, sanctification, all of that suffers. Mary, why did he write that there? I just want to let you know Mary was pondering those things. No. He made note of that for us. May God give you and I the grace that this historic account would be emblazoned in our hearts. That we would be completely convinced of the mercy and grace of God for sinners. If you're here as a sinner and haven't trusted Christ, he has mercy and grace offered to you. Do not reject it. And we see the angels in their worship, their amazement at the gospel, their passion at how wonderful it is. Do we have that same amazement and love for the gospel? And then the shepherds, hearing the message once to proclaim it to those around them. How's our evangelism? And finally, pondering, Mary, pondering, treasuring these things, holding on to these things. Your quiet, your time with the Lord is not just, I got to read the next chapter and check the box. I'm reading so I can ponder the incredible gospel and, and the God, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of it. Father, we come before you grateful for your word, grateful for the Holy Spirit who lives in us and has taken this story and exploded it in our mind. Now, Father, I pray we would not just be hearers of your word and go, oh, that was a nice message or that message had some problems. Here's my five points that I disagreed with him about. May we take the truth you've laid out May we apply it that we may enjoy Christmas year-round, looking forward to your second coming. Father, I pray you'd mature us in 2016 more and more in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen.